On May 18th, 2017, I was fortunate to interview local gig poster artist Justin Hampton about his poster work and a moment in time in the Seattle music scene. Our conversation took a surprise turn at the news of Chris Cornell's taking his own life in Detroit, Michigan after his Soundgarden reunion concert. Here is Justin Hampton reacting to that morning's shocking news. Yeah, it was beyond shocking to wake up to that this morning. It was, yeah, rough, rough wake-up call this morning. I mean, it was the soundtrack of my youth, you know, Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, just amazing. One of the very first shows in Seattle that I saw that was a big show was Soundgarden. 1989, Soundgarden with Screaming Trees and Tad, and it was a life-altering moment. It was huge. And, uh, yeah, a constant through my life was his voice. So it's it's just kind of flooring. Yeah, it's a guy so vital, you know, the voice was just this wildcat panther screaming, amazing voice that it was just so original, so sort of defining of where the music was coming from out of Seattle at the time. You know, the Pearl Jam guys, the Nirvana guys, and the Screaming Tree guys. And But Cornell's voice was like, it stood above everything. Yeah, I mean, he had the, the, most, instrument. the most unique, full-ranged voice of the time, for sure. I mean, Lane had an amazing voice that was... Yeah. Very different. It wasn't quite as wide range. Lane Staley of Allison Chains. Um, amazing in its own yeah. right, but but Chris had that just huge range that was just amazing and yeah, I it mean, was captivating. I mean, when he sang, I stopped. Oh yeah, for sure. And speaking of singing, we are going to play a song. This is from the Great Expectations soundtrack. Chris Cornell did a tune for that. This is called "Sun Shower" of Justin's picking, called "Birth Ritual." So, and we'll come back and chat a little bit right after that. This is Portland Radio Project. This is Chris Cornell. <laughs> Project Soundgarden Birth Ritual 20 takes in a row the movie singles you were there on site you got paid 50 bucks all the food you can eat dude yeah it was pretty crazy yeah it was the uh, filming of the movie uh, singles and I got Gus Van Zandt movie right yeah yeah no 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 Cameron Crowe Cameron Crowe yeah 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 but didn't Gus Van Zandt direct it no oh Cameron Cameron Crowe directed it yeah yeah okay Uh, different local guy Different local guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cross pollination there. No, no worries. No worries. I got you. So, uh, so yeah, it was amazing. Uh, my brother worked at the OK Hotel, and he dealt with a lot of the people that were uh, handling that, that came in because they filmed some of that stuff at the OK Hotel. And uh, he got the inside tip that they were looking for more, you know, extras. And there was extras for different scenes. There was the Alice in Chains scene. There was the Soundgarden scene at the off-ramp. And we just sent in photos and a little something, and they chose us. And so what did you look like then, dude? Because you've got this great look now, but did you... Oh, I was, I was, yeah, Seattle grunge dude 101, for Long sure. Long hair to your waist, 
Yeah, yeah. Long, right on. Long hair, Black Sabbath t-shirt, clean shaven, <laughs> skinny as hell. Yeah. <laughs> right on. So they chose they chose me and my brother and my good friend Logan uh, to all be in that uh, that scene, and it was epic. It was they played the song Birth Ritual all day. We got free food. They played it live. It wasn't lip syncing. 10, 20 takes, something crazy. We just got to rock out all day to sound right. And you said that Chris Cornell hit that note every, every time. single time. Every time. Every Dude, time. that's like wild. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, seriously, like, who can sustain that? Like, that's some serious pipage. You know? I don't think they do that now. They wouldn't do that. It would be like piped in. They're, like, they're playing something over their yeah, PA or something, wouldn't probably. they? I don't think yeah. any bands would play live like that. So the crazy thing is, during that filming, uh, they actually put me in between... Uh, uh, the two main actors in the show, Matt Dillon and, uh, God, what was his name? Uh, yeah, Campbell Scott. They put me in between the two of them. And so I was literally like the third head, just one person back. It's a good juxtapose. Yeah, it was, yeah, so apparently uh, I made them look bad or something. No, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> they, so, they didn't include it in the scene. Well, right, that you were saying. I didn't, like, make, oh, so I you didn't, didn't make, make that the, cut, but the yeah, new yeah. release, the whatever, the deluxe version, what you were saying? Oh, so yeah, the crazy thing is, uh, all kidding aside, they in the, the re-release that came out the, on Blu-ray, uh, I'm actually in that, like in the, in the scene that's with uh, Soundgarden at the off-ramp. Uh, just flashes in the crowd. There's a pretty good like spot. So that story point. you told for how many years now? You can actually prove when you tell your right, friends. Exactly. <laughs> You're making this up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. It's funny. Right on. <laughs> so we're the, we're jumping off from from this point right now. Uh, we're going on to something next. One of your posters. Uh, we're playing song "Crazy" by Gnarls Barkley, but we want to talk about Danger Mouse because you yeah. have a, a poster about that. We're, we're flying that up right now. Yeah, so I was having a show in uh, Manchester, England. This was actually a show in 2003 after the uh, post-neo-explosionism uh, tour poster series with Queens of the Stone Age for Songs for the Deaf. That was with uh, Emic and Jermaine Rogers, and we were uh, having a, a showing at the Richard Goodall Gallery, coincided with Queens' uh, gig in Manchester. And... Uh, we got lots of press on it. Josh and uh, Troy came to the show and they signed posters for everybody at this gallery show. It was amazing, you know. And as part of the press that happened with that, this dude who was this DJ that no one really knew of back then uh, saw it because he was over there. And that was Brian Burton, who was Danger Mouse. As part of the press, he was living over there at the time on some project. And um, so when I got back from Europe, I get this email and it's this guy with this wacky idea. And uh, he said, you know, he's got this idea to take the acapella version released of the Black Album, uh, Jay-Z, and mix it with samples from the White Album. And I was just blown away by the idea, but I was like, wow, this could be really I gotta amazing. I got to check it out. I've never heard this. Oh, it's 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 ridiculously cool. It's it's. I literally was like, that idea is so cutting-edge amazing that it's either going to be really amazing or it's going to suck really bad. Yeah. So I, I basically told the guy, I was like, you know, hey, man, uh, I got to hear it. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can, yeah, just send me, can you send me something? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he sent me the, the copy. I put it in. I listened to the first song, and I was like, holy crap. I was like, yes, done deal. So he asked me to do the album cover poster for it, you know. So the, the album cover was just gray that came out with it that he put out. It wasn't like for money. He just did it to prove that he could do it and show his skills off. So he didn't make any money on the deal. Uh, but people ended up downloading it online and they would use the art from the poster image that was put out as their album cover because only a handful of people had actual promotional copies from Danger Mouse, you know. So worldwide, that image was used and it, it was probably the biz, biggest exposure I got because it was just such a crazy viral thing that just took off and had a life of its own, you know. 
And, uh, and yeah, and then after that, the funny thing is uh, Danger Mouse was getting sued by EMI for using Beatles samples, even though he wasn't trying to make money on it. But during the lawsuit, the other department of EMI was like, we'd really like to hire you. <laughs> and so they actually, they actually they dropped, came to an agreement. They dropped the lawsuit and they hired <laughs> him as a producer because it got just, I mean, they couldn't have paid to get that much exposure. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just an insane amount of exposure. So it was great. So he took off and the project right after that was Niles Barkley. Portland Radio Project, Allison Chains, Phantom Limb. something to say about Alice in Chains, Central Tavern Days. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing these guys, you know, with Lane Staley and all those guys back in the day, like, shoot, Central Tavern. Like, I remember this one particular show. I mean, I saw them so many times before they blew up. In this particular show, I think Kiss had just reunited with the original members and put the face paint back on. So everyone was at the Key Arena, and it was a Central Tavern, and there was maybe, shoot, 25 people there. And they just... They didn't care. They were just like, we're just going to blow doors anyway. And it was phenomenal, you know? And, uh, yeah, but I mean, so crazy. I remember I was talking about a friend of mine between the break, uh, Brent, Brent Carnes, who I don't know if he's listening or not, but I remember telling him at the time, these guys are going to blow up so hard. These guys are going to be huge. And he was just like, what? You're out of your mind. And just recently, because <laughs> he lives here in Portland now too, uh, he was like, dude, you so called that. So, so long ago. I just did not want to have that at all. And uh, I was so wrong. <laughs> Quite a bit of an experience there in the Seattle scene. You were there in like the, all the seminal. I mean, I even hate to call it grunge. I mean, just like the Seattle music scene was just like popping. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that people don't realize about that scene is grunge was basically a moniker that was used to, you know, push it advertising yeah, yeah. wise. Because, I mean, I just turned 21. It was 1989. And uh, there was music every night of the week that was just off the chain. And it was like, it wasn't just that style. It was, we'd go see reggae bands, we'd go see metal bands, we'd go see jazz. We were music people, you know? Yeah, and so we went right. to all of that stuff. You know, there was a, a vast array of music. That was just and the a one vast that got, array of venues. Right, oh yeah, just endless, yeah. And they got, uh, that particular scene got all the, you know, the hype. But there was, you know, the accused, there was, you know, all these bands from back in the day that were just Amazing panic, not not uh, widespread panic, but the band Panic. It was yeah. a, a speed metal band. Yeah, there was all these bands that we went and saw just all the time. It was it was so much fun. Yeah, it was an amazing time for sure. Next we have Elliot Smith. Me. Miss me. 
local Portland favorite, local Northwest favorite. You got to do some work for him. Amazing. Thanks. Yeah, it was just a gig for a venue back uh, in 2000 at the break room in Seattle. And uh, uh, my my friend Chad, who also books for the Showbox and has forever now, asked me to do that poster. And, uh, you know, it was just him with an acoustic guitar on a chair. Could barely see him because he was sitting down. Amazing. You know, I got a copy signed by him, which is pretty wild. But, uh, yeah, he was just phenomenal. It's, it's so weird now, like, uh, being in this industry and like having seen all these people that have done stuff for now that have passed away, you know, each time it happens, it's like, you know, I've had this personal experience doing this stuff and some I've met, some I haven't, some I've got signed, some I haven't, but it's just, it's always weird. It's always really weird to, yeah. uh, to see this go down. And it's been, you know, I mean, shoot, it's like, you know, playing the Alice stuff, Lane's gone, you know, Chris is gone, which is just still just, it's going to take a while for that to set in. It's just right. unreal. Lemmy, a couple of, you know, last year, well, two years ago, I just now. So wild. louder than everything else motorhead lemmy lemmy was amazing man true legend teddy bear of a guy you said sweetheart total sweetheart like on the outside you would never think but like to his fans to anyone that like loved motorhead he was a total genuine sweetheart and if you go and look lemmy up just a google search on his images you'll see thousands of photos with fans and each time he's doing the same thing, flipping people off, and they're smiling <laughs> ear to ear, and he's true to character. And he was a rogue, man. He was a, a modern pirate. So this poster we just threw up on the talk board, you got to work with him on. You guys did it yeah. to, in collaboration, it sounds like. Yeah, on that particular poster, I actually uh, worked with him. We emailed back and forth, and uh, every time I got an email in my inbox that said, from Lemmy, it sounded like Lemmy. Every time it came into my head, I could hear his voice. like. How crazy is that? I literally would pinch myself every time. I would just be like, weird. <laughs> I've got an email from Lemmy. But uh, but yeah, man, he was he was really, really cool. And uh, that one I put a lot of work into, and I'm very proud of it. In fact, his manager told me when he saw that, that he was like, crap, I wish we had this image for the album cover. <laughs> I was like, don't tell me that now. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> But yeah, no, he was awesome. I met him, uh, the first gig I did for him was in 2002 at the old Catwalk in Seattle, which was an underground, literally underground club that was like a goth club. And he was playing it with Morbid Angel. And uh, 
It was, of course, just the loudest, craziest show ever. And the saying is, once again... Yeah, everything, everything louder, louder than, than everything else. Yes, exactly. And it was. I mean, they played, I don't even know what the decibel Legendary. Rate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But so I'd never, I'd never been to a Motorhead show until that show. Blown away. I did the poster for the venue. I was hoping to meet him after the show. I had some posters in hand. And I waited, you know, this big security guard was standing there keeping me at bay, you know, just waiting my turn. They finally said, yeah, you can come back. And, uh. There was this big entourage around him, you know, and people were chatting his ear off. And I just stood there with my poster tube and just just waited, you know, and I was just kind of like in my head, you know, uh, waiting, you know, for my moment. And then uh, through the crowd, the crowd parts and this gnarled, fully ringed with skull ring hand reaches through the crowd and goes, oh, these posters. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he, he was like, can I have a look? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yes, you can have a look. So he, he, he you were of, summoned, sort of. I was summoned by the, the king. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And so the the people parted, and they were all like, "Who is this? What is this about?" You know. And he goes, "Come over here," you know. And we go over to the pool table, and he lays him out. And it, I can't say it on the radio, but I will give the edited version. He goes, "Freaking brilliant!" <laughs> of course, with the fuc version. Right, right, right. Yeah. But probably a little more cockney in there too oh yeah for sure for <laughs> sure and he goes can i have one <laughs> i was just blown away because i was like they haven't given you one i gave them a stack of posters here like yeah you can have one lemmy sir like yes <laughs> you, yeah absolutely so i did and that was the beginning of a really cool relationship i did uh four posters with him i was included in the uh stone death forever box set that same poster for the catwalk show was a, a fold-up offset in that in that uh, that box set, which was really really cool, and um, yeah, we did a few posters together, and uh, I'd I'd come hang out when he came to town, and go backstage, and you know he would drink from the the sacred uh, Jack bottle, and uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was like being with the rock and roll Pope. <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. This is Portland Radio Project, and this poster artist with me today is Justin Hampton, and we have been covering some ground. We have been turning up the decibels and playing some fun music. One of the tragic things of the day is Chris Cornell passing. We were just talking about um, Justin seeing the first Pearl Jam show, which we're going to come back from this song, and he's going to share with us. This is Temple of the Dog, and this is Say Hello to Heaven. Yeah. 
Not a dry eye in the house. Wow. Yeah, what a day, huh? Um, that song means a lot right now. Uh, wow, so many people out there are lamenting the fact, are just anguishing over this. We have our lovely neighbor, Megan, from down the hall, comes down because she hears Chris Cornell singing, and she's drawn to the voice like every other person that hears him sing. So, um, Justin, you were talking about a sound check yeah. of these, uh, actually, uh, was it Hunger Strike? What was that you were listening to? Yeah, basically, um, a couple of years ago, I was uh, asked to do the official poster for the Pearl Jam 20 show, uh, and as part of that, uh, Pearl Jam actually flew out a bunch of the artists that had done posters for them for a mini poster show to go along with that particular event. And, uh, and so um, we were flown in pretty late. It was maybe, I don't know, midnight. We were setting up posters at this amphitheater in the middle of nowhere, Alpine Ridge. And, uh, and some music started playing. And it was and maybe at this point like 1.30 a.m. And so I stepped out to the top of the amphitheater from where we were inside. And it, it, the song started, and it was Hunger Strike uh, Soundcheck. And it was Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder performing that song as a soundcheck to an empty amphitheater in the middle of nowhere at like 1, th- one o'clock in the morning. And it was just, yeah, goosebumps. I mean, just so amazing. So special, dude. That's like such a crazy, amazing memory. Draw that for me, will you? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, that was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, that song in particular, the Say Hello to Heaven song, has got so much history and meaning for me. I mean, the day that Andrew Wood died in Seattle, it was just, there was those couple of days that were, they were like that. It was, you know, when Andy died, when uh, Kurt Cobain died, and now Chris, I mean, those days are so heavy, and they rocked, you know, the world. I mean, Andy rocked the town because he wasn't known at all. You know, that hadn't come out yet. That the, um, Apple, and, uh, and Andy was the lead singer for Mother Love Bone. Andrew Wood, yeah, yeah. And so, and that song was written by his best friend, Chris Cornell. They were roommates for him. And during that time, I was going through some stuff that had to do with the relationship of of the drug scene at the time, where uh, my brother was very involved in uh, doing the same thing, which was, you know, heroin. And uh, that song, that album got me through that period because I I held on to it because I was hoping that I wouldn't get a call that he was found that way. And uh, he came to me shortly thereafter, a couple months after, and begged me to get a place with him so he could get clean, and I did. And uh, my brother now passed away a couple years ago. and I played that song when he died and cried my eyes out. And now to have it come around full circle that the guy who wrote the song for his friend, it's just, it's such, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep my, myself together right now to continue this interview hearing that song. I knew this was going to be a tough day. We had this plan for a while, folks, and it just this happening. Here's a guy assembly involved with these guys with all their concert posters. And I knew this was going to be heavy coming in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, rolling over out of bed and reading this as the first news on my phone was just brutal. Just brutal. I, I could not have anticipated this at all. I mean, who could have, you know? Well, your stoicism is well appreciated. Thank you. Meg is going to cry for you. I know she is. <laughs> so we're going to uh, segue out of that. And we're going to 
throw up another poster here, another piece of work that Justin Hampton has done for one of my favorite people, PJ Harvey. Cool. And so here is PJ Harvey with John Parrish. This is my choice. I insisted with Justin, I get to pick the PJ song. Project sitting here with my guest Justin Hampton. Our time is coming to an unfortunate close, but <laughs> what was the, the correction? You said something about a correction. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, earlier when you uh, played "Hanging Tree," you said Mark was playing backup. He was actually singing lead on that song. Oh yeah, just did I say that? You did. No worries. Okay. No worries. Just figured I'd correct you. I work with Mark, so if he heard this and he was like backup. <laughs> No worries, man. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm literally here for you. I'm right here. I am glad. I need the support. Trust me. Hey, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely. Um, once again, folks, this has been Throwing It Back Thursday with my guest, Justin Hampton, poster artist here locally who has just like, we could, we've just decided we could sit here for another three hours and talk story about all the stuff. Easy. Easy. All day. That was my guest, poster artist, Justin Hampton, reflecting on the untimely death of Chris Cornell and Justin's insights into a moment in time in the Seattle music scene. I'm Bob Knowles, and you're in the bobsled. Join me again and grab the reins for the next bobsled podcast.